0: Welcome to Weird Sequence, Season 1, Sequence 13, The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. Beware spoilers and trigger warnings for the following. Murder, attempted murder, body horror, mutilation, attempted sexual assault, sexual references, infidelity, and the first usage of a new microphone. You can now get updates for the show on Twitter via @WeirdSequence. Hello and welcome to Weird Sequence. We're your hosts. I'm Phil Allegheri
1: and Damian Hester.
0: And this week we are covering *The Hellbound Heart* by Clive Barker.
1: A delightful romp through.
0: Oh, just just the lightest read. Yes. <laughs> it's definitely not going to trigger more more uh, generate more trigger warnings than uh, uh, geek love. No, definitely cert- well, not. No. Although on the plus side, I didn't I didn't have to tag this one with uh, trigger warnings for incest.
1: No, that's true. Just everything so it's, it's, else—it's got
0: that going for it.
1: Yeah. The the so, the less we can have an incest trigger in our podcast, the better. I think
0: that that will always be true. I feel. Yeah. Um. So, for those of you who are not familiar, Hellbound Heart is the novella, Would you say?
1: Yeah, it's a pretty short read. It's 186 pages.
0: Yeah, it's it's not long at all. It's the novella that uh Clive Barker wrote that is the basis for the film Hellraiser. Um if you're not familiar with Hellraiser, it's the dude with all the pins in his head. Right. Um you you've absolutely seen it. It's the you know, he's what blue-skinned, he has a grid over his head, at each junction on the grid there is a pin driven into his skull. And Hence he's wearing like name. a long leather uh what would you call that? Like a flock coat. Like frock robe kinda.
1: I don't know what I would call that. Maybe um, whole body chaps. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Whole body chaps is an accurate description. Yeah. Um, I'm just gonna say if I'm ever at a club and I see that walking towards me, I am I am out of there, man. That's not happening.
1: He'll show you such pleasure.
0: I'll show you such delights. Oh, that's what it is. Delights, yeah. Delights. Which is code for they're going to peel your skin off slowly just so you can feel it. Yes. Um so yeah, Clive Clive Barker is an interesting character. Mm. Um one of the one of
1: the uh, in the in the royal court of horror everything. Movies,
0: oh yeah, books. I mean he's um he ticks all the boxes, you know. Um he he's an author, you know, he directs films, he's an artist. Mm-hmm. He's a very prominent sort of, um, prominent gay male figure for a lot of people. Mm. Anyway, he, he's a you know very talented um, uh, sort of fantasy horror writer, and he writes uh, a whole selection of um, franchises have basically spawned from his work. So everything from, you know, the more fantastical kind of Aberrat all the way through the the more horrific sort of Hellraiser or Candyman, I believe, is actually one of his as well. Mm-hmm. Um and Lord of
1: Illusions. Yeah. That's a good uh, a great um, mid nineties uh, horror flick.
0: I mean, yeah, he 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 sits on you know, board of advisors for museums. He does he does a just crazy amount of stuff. So yeah, you have this yeah, this sort of very prolific writer director. He's he, very influential in a lot of the work that he's done. Uh, there's a lot of people who take his work as a um, as a basis for many many other things. So he, he's he's almost um, almost Tolkien esque in the sense that he he has certain parts of his work that is just used as a a bedrock for other people to build similar concepts on top of. Mm-hmm. Which takes us to this book because, as we mentioned. This is the book that Hellraiser is written on, uh, based on. Mm-hmm. Uh, which there's, what, how many films now? Twelve? Um, something like that. I'm going to ask if uh, Doug Bradley has managed to pay off his mortgage yet. Yeah. Oh, oh! how about that for a <clears throat> guest? There's actually eleven. Eleven? That a good guess. <laughs> eleven.
1: Not all of them are good.
0: No, God, no. I mean, I'm going to say once you get past about three they're unwatchable but <laughs> i haven't seen one,
1: i haven't seen the new ones
0: i don't think many people saw the new one but um, if you've
1: if you've seen hellraiser the book this book the the hellbound heart is pretty much a scene for scene copy or maybe maybe the movie is a scene for scene copy of the book with a couple mm-hmm. notable changes um so if you've seen the movie this book will not have many surprises for you but but the surprises that are there the changes that are there are interesting
0: I, I i will say reading this um i was picturing sort of the the actors and see, scenes from the, the film um mm-hmm. which is nice i i didn't quite get a chance to watch that again before we, we did this um but i i might actually have to go back and rewatch watch that
1: mm-hmm. I, um, I, I actually really enjoyed the book that the thing for me and this is this is very typical of of any book and movie relationship is that like in the book, there's so much more about the, the thought processes and the emotions of the, of the characters. So, you know, there are, there are things in the book, thought processes that you get to experience that you don't get to experience in the, in the movie. Cause there's just no good way to, to render that. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Well, I, I also like as well that sometimes you, uh, as you often get with um, the the books that movies are based on, the the movies have to cut material just mm-hmm. for time, or they have to cut it for flow. Mm-hmm. There's a certain flow to a movie you have to have. Um, no, one of the things I like with this book is, and it, it's it's a common idea with a lot of um, with a lot of um, stories that get transferred into movies, is that you have a lot more time to fill in the little details. There's a lot more little details about, like, the the Cenobites. Right. The Cenobites of the Order of the Gash. They're not named, but, you know, there's one that's referred to as the Engineer. There's a set number of them. They, they have different characteristics and different sort of mutilations and um, mm-hmm. sort of scarification. And they feel more, to me, as a group of individuals engaged in some repulsive activity as opposed to four spooky people that show up when you twist the box the right way
1: right and um um, there's there's very much I, i think more so in the book than than in the movie there's a definite um well i mean the theme is there in the movie but in the book it's it's more emphasized there's a definite um connection between um, sex and horror and pain and pleasure and, um, you know, there's a scene in the book where the when the, the first Cenobite comes for Frank, she's sitting on a pile of heads that are still basically alive and yes, um, her legs are spread <laughs> and stuff and it's there's a lot more um kind of visceral. I think the line and,
0: was something to the effect of mutilated of the face and pubis.
1: Yes. Um, there's a lot more visceral and explicit kind of sexual horror in the book than there is but in the movie.
0: In the same time, the the book isn't unnecessarily explicit. Right. When it when it is gory, when it is horrible, it it is it is correctly um, is correctly describing the the flow of actions that are happening that are genuine horror. There's multiple murders in this story. Yes, and none of them are clean. Like, oh nope, sorry, drink the tea; it's poisoned. Hee hee. I mean, they are visceral, knockdown yeah. fights to the death. There's one yeah. where Frank grabs somebody and drags them into a room and just drains the life out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so they are there. There is there is definitely sequences here but interspersed with these very kind of just there's just this whole air of normalcy for everybody bar a couple of the main characters you know Mm -hmm. they have housewarming parties they go and get lunch Mm -hmm. they're doing perfectly normal things and then there's just wham killing somebody with a kitchen knife you know
1: right you know i think the one of my one of the things about the book that i that i like a lot is or maybe i don't like it but it's really well done is throughout the entire book even in the scenes where they're doing something normal there's this sense of um unease and kind of dread.
0: So, with this sort of introductory sort of overview thoughts, uh, do we want to... Let's get into the summary. Uh, Damien, do you want to lead in with that?
1: Um, Well, I didn't write a summary down, so this might be a bad idea, but... (laughs) Excuse me. Um,
0: It's short, like a Florida winter. What's that? I don't even know what that is. Um, So... The, it was that day last week that was kind of chilly.
1: Well, today was pretty chilly. Anyway, uh, so this this uh, this couple moves into a house. They the house was owned by the by the guy's brother. They should be happy about it, but things are not okay in Paradise. It's kind of kind of boiling under the surface for most of the beginning part of the book. There's another woman named um, Christie, who uh is kind of um in love with rory
0: yeah she's sort of like rory's mousy infatuated friend right yeah
1: Um, and julia
0: is is rory's
1: wife and she's kind of perfect and beautiful and lovely and and really not very happy with what's going on no um and then you find out when you're in when you're in julia's head that being in this house that that Rory's brother Frank used to own um, has got her thinking about Frank a lot because just before... Actually, I think the night before their wedding, um, Julia and Frank um, had a, an encounter and um, Frank took advantage and, and
0: Julia kind of really liked it. And... I don't know that he took advantage. I, I mean right it took two to the, the implication it was rough but willing right
1: so uh oh i totally forgot the, the beginning part two or frank you did uh, i was Frank's gonna dead. i was gonna ask you about go that ahead. yeah go ahead tell talk about that. so
0: time. yes the the opening chapter before before we get to the uh sort of do they even say where this is uh Idealic i was I was, just, town. I was
1: just looking at it uh, looking at the wikipedia page um and i never picked it up but it actually says that they're in england
0: Oh, I did not get that vibe yeah, at I all. I didn't either. I, I, well, like, you know, I guess I am thinking of the film. Um, no, so the, the the story opens with um, Frank, who is Rory's brother. And Frank is a petty criminal, a hedonist, um, just a, a nasty, self-interested, sort of lustful man. But also and charming bored. and
1: charismatic.
0: Well, in that way that all psych- psychopaths are. Right um he is he's bored he is he has he has run out of i guess uh, for want of a better description he's kind of run out of highs there's there's nothing in in the world that he's encountering that is interesting in him anymore mm-hmm. he is he is bored he is disinterested it it has actually led him into a spiral of drugs and drink and chaos and he finds out uh, i think i think quite by chance um from rumors from other sort of Petty criminals and hedonists of various ways to attempt to cross over to a a realm controlled by these cenobites, where they basically spend eternity trying to figure out new and exciting um, pleasures. So, by pure chance, he finds a he comes into contact as you find out later a, a German fellow who sells him lemon shards box, which is this little wooden puzzle box, and the the story very much opens with him trying to crack this puzzle box. And he's in one room of this house. I, I think the house was the the grandmother's. They they both sort of inherited that they used. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Rory was staying. Uh, Frank was staying in the house. Sorry, and he, you know, cracks this 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 little ritual box. He has all his little ritual items hanging around, which included a jug of urine. <laughs> and he 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 uh put sperm all over the floor too well yeah they 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 kind of well yeah so the Cenobites show up and basically um drag him into their sort of realm and the first thing they do is basically crank all of his senses up to like 20 mm-hmm. uh he can't deal with it and he you know sort of assaulted by all these lustful apparitions he well jacks off on the floor which doesn't help. And then one of the Cenobites proudly informs him that, well, now he's finished messing around. They can get started. Mm. I and you come he, to realize he, 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 he almost...
1: He did that. He, he jacked off on the floor before, like, as they were showing up. <laughs> not not as they put, his, no. put him into sensory overload. No,
0: no. When, when, once they'd shown up and they were like, you know, you, do you know who we are? Do you have what we need? Um, it was just before... They all disappeared, bar one of them, mm. and it was the woman that was sitting on the woman A pile of heads. Mm-hmm. The pile of heads. Um. So yeah, he's expecting them to show up with you know hordes of beautiful women and orgies just and stuff, yeah, orgies and excess and ecstasy. And what they're very much trading in is, you know, sensory, sensory pain and overload. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the the pleasure that they brought is not the pleasure that. Um, no frank was expecting
0: and he regrets this decision almost instantly yes but it doesn't matter because he's gone from the world mm-hmm. yeah and then this this leads into rory sort of showing up uh rory and julia right who are moving in to refit the house to to live in it so
1: so it all it all kind of the it all starts to go down when um julia is is uh up in the attic room <clears throat> um,
0: well it, it all starts to go down downhill pretty much from the point they move into the house right you know the the uh, the moving is a hassle Julia's under a lot of stress she's unhappy um, she doesn't like Christy Christy's trying to hover around and help, but you know f- Christy is for want of a better description a wet noodle right. and really isn't much help at all um, but anyway they, they get this stuff into the house and when they get the, the sort of the bed in They're trying to find a room to put it in, and she walks into one of the rooms on the third floor. What would be the master bedrooms or the larger room of the bedrooms? And realizes that somebody has nailed the um, sort of the blinds shut. And this is, of course, as you know from the first chapter, this is um, this is the room that Frank performed his ritual in. She gets a weird feeling from this and shuts door, walks off. Which I was kind of curious that all of the bedrooms in this house have lockable doors. And then after the after the moving, where do they go after that? Well, they're What's just they're just trying to live.
1: You know, they're trying to get the house together. And um, if I remember, like Julia starts to have some personality change. Like she goes from being kind of just stressed out and unhappy to being like um, like um brooding and and kind of obsessed with that that upper yeah room. she
0: she she with withdraws and and sort of becomes obsessed with this room and um one night i believe was it during a thunderstorm
1: probably it fits probably
0: the setting. <laughs> it it kind of does um but basically one night she's she's up in this room and she hears something more than well, feels something more than she hears it. She, so no, she no, no. Wait, this... there's
1: there's something there's something before that. Um, she has she has Rory come up and undo the nails and the blinds, and while doing that, he cuts his finger, cuts his hand pretty badly, and he bleeds on the floor.
0: That's right. Yes, and she Sorry, she takes yeah. him down
1: and mends it up, and then she goes back up there later and has the experience that you're going to talk
0: about. That I'm going to talk about.
1: Yeah. So basically, the, the experience <laughs> that
0: she had is um, part of the wall is Diagon Alley.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> yes. But uh, cool, far less literally. whimsical. So she, she's, she, she, she looks at a, a section of the wall, or she's drawn to a section of the wall, and it starts to fold back as panels shift and move. Um, I just realized that I just connected Harry Potter to Hellraiser.
1: Congratulations. feel
0: <laughs> I, I feel... Is, I feel uh... is there an achievement get for that? i feel I like there should so. be an achievement gift for that yeah. um but you know th- this wall opens up and inside is this impossibly damaged human just just destroyed to the point that they shouldn't be alive anymore
1: yeah just like just like random bundles of flesh and nerves barely held together yeah
0: you know the, the there's a the she she can uh, she can see the spine but it's been sort of flensed of any tissue. It's everything is ripped to pieces yep. and sort of reconstructed. And somehow she knows it's Frank. Somehow she knows it's Frank. And Frank asks with, you know, literally the last kind of strength that he has, because he's been missing about a year at this point. Mm-hmm. He asks for blood. Mm-hmm. And this triggers Julia on a series of murders.
1: Mm-hmm. you also you I mean, also spend a little bit of time is- you also spend a short time after that in frank's perspective in the in the cenobites realm and you get to see inside frank's head and and you learn that like mm-hmm. he of course he remembers julia but she was kind of just like a whatever like a, like a whim like oh i'm gonna you know sleep with this woman and then he's gonna she's gonna marry my brother and whatever he doesn't mm-hmm. he's not like like julia is like obsessively kind of um in love with frank mm. um and he's just not he's just you know she was just no like,
0: he he's a monster it, you know what it is street fighter the movie
1: was the that great john claude van damme
0: the one with Jean claude van damme mm-hmm. and Raul julia and there's that great sequence with Raul julia as m bison where he turns around and is like oh my dear for you this was a a moment of purpose and clarity that has shaped your entire life. But for me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is, this is kind of the same situation because Julia is, is, is obsessed. Yeah. You know, as, lamented this, this encounter, this, this sort of um, sort of forbidden love f- since it happened. Frank's like Julia. Oh yes. I remember Julia. That was yes. Okay. I know her. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's just another like he 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 kind of disinterestedly brags at one point about having slept with thousands of women, right? Um, but anyway, guy, so Frank, yeah, so we we get this this insight into Frank's head, um, and what you find out is yes, the horrible demon creatures from another dimension who spend all their time thinking about you know sensation and um, you know pleasure in their terms have basically spent eternity figuring out how to, how to flay people in new and exciting ways. Yeah. And then when they're finished, they wall them up in the walls of the room that they were summoned mm-hmm. into, and they leave them there to just deal with their own shit for eternity. Mm-hmm. And that's where Frank but has been. He's in the Cenobite's realm,
1: though, because the yes. fact that he escapes is a big deal.
0: Well, he's he's in the Cenobite's realm, but he's he's still functionally in in the walls of the structure overlooking that that space the where this all started
1: but but that's only because he he put his sperm on the floor
0: so we should clarify you can be anchored to the real realm if you leave some piece of you behind right so frank did this entirely by accident yeah. um whereas some of them very deliberately did this some of the people some of the prisoners he he'd encountered though he doesn't detail more about them have no anchor to the real world and are basically permanently lost. Yep. Yep. But so so that so all he, so he asks for blood. That Julia, He crawls back into his <clears throat> his sort of interspatial inter- crawl space. Julia goes on because Julia is described as being perfect and beautiful, yeah, perfect and, and pretty, um, and yeah, wonderful. She she basically seduces men, brings them back to the house, and when they're expecting, you know, an sexual encounter. She murders them, right, in that room, and lets Frank, I guess, presumably absorb the blood.
1: The first one, the first one, she kills him all on her own, and she sees that the blood is getting like absorbed into the floorboards, mm-hmm. and so she leaves because someone knocks on the door, mm-hmm. and when she comes back, the body is like a is like a husk. It's like been yeah. sucked of all of its vitality.
0: It's just utterly desiccated. Yeah, so she um, she stuffs that in the storage room.
1: Right. As you do. Uh,
0: so this, this goes on, and there is a counterpoint to this where Rory is getting concerned that his wife is becoming withdrawn. He enlists mm-hmm. Christy to help him figure out what's going on. Christy, having seen one of these murder victims being dragged into the house,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or at least seeing the coat and hearing screams, assumes that she's having an affair. Right, well, that the person who knocked on the door was Christy,
1: and she saw she she was just talking to Julia, who was acting all skittish and weird. But mm-hmm. she looked behind Julia, and there was a an unknown man's coat on the on right the, on the coat hook. And she was like, "Oh, this is." And
0: and uh, Julia, for her part, is largely unaffected by the fact that she's murdering people.
1: Oh yeah, no, she she doesn't <laughs> she's she's quite
0: uh, indifferent. She she's starting yeah. to take on Frank's aspect of just being very bored with life and. Mm-hmm. You know, not seeing as anything worthwhile to engage with. mm mm-hmm. um, And this, this, this goes on through a few cycles. And then um, Frank, who is now basically a skinned corpse, yeah. having regained all this muscle, bulk, and tissue, impossibly strong, impossibly fast, but has no skin, they decide to just finalize what's happening, and they murder Rory and basically graft his skin onto Frank. Mm-hmm. He takes his face. Right. So this is about the point where, and I think there might be some divergence from the film, Christy kind of sneaks in. Mm -hmm. And uh, as she sneaks in, she she realizes what's happened. They get into a fight because, you know, Frank is still Frank and still a kind of rapey monster.
1: Right. So Frank, now that he has Rory's face, Christy comes by intending to tell him that, he thinks that julia is cheating on him yeah but now rory's acting all weird and she kind of gets um, um suspicious of him and then but but frank in rory's face is like instantly smitten with christy um and so he tries to he tries to take her because he's a and she, rapey monster right <laughs> and she she like scratches his face and pulls his skin off and sees yeah because it's, it's
0: not really attached right particularly well at this
1: point point. and so she scratches his face sees the you know the musculature underneath and and kind of intuits what's going on and mm-hmm. um ends up in the hospital she runs and ends up in the hospital well or
0: there's, a, there's a key point here as well while she's fighting frank she slugs in with a random box that she finds, which yes. is Lemon Shard's box. So she goes to the hospital. And while she's in the hospital, they ask her, "Well, what's happening?" Because they find her, obviously post attack, like she's scratched up, she's covered in blood. They mm-hmm. they they ask her, "What you know, what happened?" She's like, "Oh, no, nothing. You know, don't 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 worry about it. Nothing like this." And they give her back the only belonging that she walked in with when she collapsed, mm-hmm. which was this box. So it's the puzzle box, but instead of being Utterly inscrutable, you can just about make out pressure points and triggers from blood on the surface,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, she solves the puzzle box. And one of the Cenobites shows up and goes, "Oh, what? What? What?" He essentially says, "Is well, you weren't actually looking for us, but uh, tough shit, you're ours anyway." Right. And uh, attempts that's, to drag her off. To that's how the cookie crumbles, honey. Pr- Pretty much. And, uh, I wish that was an odd straight. Uh, is it? Is there some desire to have cookies that crumble? Uh, no, I think that's, uh, no.
1: Nobody likes crumbled cookies. Unless they're just, like, just, unless they're on top of ice cream or something.
0: Yeah. I just, I just always thought it was an odd turn of phrase. Anyway,
1: it is an odd turn
0: of phrase. Yeah. So she makes it, she makes a deal with them. Cause they're like, well, sucks for you. Guess you're going to be dragged off to, weird hell dimension
1: she's like but what about the guy that escaped what about what about what about frank
0: yeah do you know frank And they're like oh yes we know frank if you can bring us frank we don't care about you really so now she's got a double imperative because not only is her you know her love interest been replaced by this monster there are now demons that are offering to not shred her soul if um if she can find the well, the person's taken over this 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 love interest. So she goes back to the house. But yeah, in
1: order to do that, she has to open the puzzle box in Frank's presence.
0: Which well, well no, no, because now she's opened the puzzle box. The Cenobites are following her. They don't oh, show yeah, themselves, right. but she that's knows right. that they're following her around town. Like she, she doesn't get cold, and mm. she knows it's they're doing. You know, there's, there's little details like this. And basically, what they're looking for is. They have to find Frank. he has to confess, and he has to confess to being Frank, mm-hmm. so there's this whole like fight sequence they 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 kind of run around the house and um at some point he just kind of callously murders Julia mm-hmm. like whatever, and ends up in that room again. and while they're in the room, she's he's you know, she's like, well, you're just some goddamn monster what's that fact? and he's like no i'm, I'm rory now mm-hmm. and then she remembers oh no i have to get them to confess so she's like well you're not really rory though and after a little coaxing he's like yeah yeah i am now i used to be frank i mm-hmm. am frank and suddenly everything changes you know this bell sounding the walls are going weird all the lights are popping and it's like oh mm-hmm. crap and all he- all literal all hell breaks loose mm-hmm. as these things come back for frank yeah, and the house—the
1: like, house is filled with Cenobites.
0: Yeah, and that the house starts to come loose. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Which you by find the way, that um that bell is one of my favorite things in the book. The sonorous bell, I think it's so um kind of haunting. Like yes, I I like that a lot.
0: Well, bell. well, we'll get in we'll get into that. But yes, we should talk about the bell. And uh, basically, there's a. There's a chase sequence, um, Scooby Doo you know, style, the, kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, except running, you know, pinhead's there's, running there's blood out and corpses.
1: Him. Julia's <laughs> running behind Pinhead, and then they go down the hall, and yeah, Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo's like,
0: huh? yeah, roo roo so yeah, no, the Cenobites show up, and they're like, Ah, Frank, nice to see you again. Hey, you girl, piss off. Um. And, you know, she kind of creaks through the door and they, they just... Hooks come out of the wall. They just rip him to pieces. Mm-hmm. I, I guess, presumably to carry on where they left off. Yep. And uh, she runs from the house and that's that's it. Well, that's she, goes, she goes ends.
1: downstairs and she finds um, Julia in her wedding dress.
0: Well, um, she finds Julia Julia's within a veil body, with Julia's head on
1: her lap. Yeah. And the engineer is... Um, where like the engineer's head mm-hmm. is where julia's head should be
0: right um because the the, the engineer is because there should be be five centibites but the engineer only shows up if he's needed mm-hmm. and he's not he's just sitting outside in in a wedding dress it's just it's absolute chaos mm-hmm. and the house is starting to come apart and and christy just manages to just about get out and yeah um so it's one of the stories where you, you get the distinct impression nothing good happens to anybody involved in it. I mean, the, the only good thing is that, you know, Christy is alive. Yes.
1: And and the engineer, like, she passes the engineer on the road and the engineer gives her the box again.
0: He oh, yeah, they, 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 they hand her the box to, to look after. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it ends. Yeah. So let's just pull out some of the more, <laughs> the, this is a very dense story mm-hmm. for, for being, uh, yeah, not 200 pages long. The, there is a lot going on this. Um, and it, it is sort of very much, um, try that again. It, it, it's very much a, a master, a crafted piece, uh, a crafted work. It, it is very tight in how everything is executed. Mm-hmm. It's very well written. Yeah. Um, Language is sort of dense and sort not, of... Not uh, too fluffy. It's not too fluffy, but there are parts where, you know, there are more obscure words put, put in, and mm-hmm. everything is just as it needs to be for each section of the book. It, it's actually really well written. Mm-hmm. It, it's probably one of the better written things I think I've ever read. Um, so, yeah. Let's just let's go in and pull out a couple of the key interesting bits. Uh, and then we'll talk about those and then we'll we'll kinda conclude what we, we think in the story. So let's start with the bell. Mm-hmm. So the bell starts with it actually starts right at the start of the book. Um, when Frank starts to get Lemishard's box open, the first time he clicks it it starts to make a little tinkling noise and he opens mm-hmm. it a little bit more of this box and it starts to this bell starts to ring almost rhythmically yeah and if i remember right it doesn't seem to have like he can't place a
1: direction it just seems to be coming from everywhere
0: right which um in the sort of the last sequence of this book it 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 almost breaks Christie when it's doing this because it is it is insufferably loud Mm. um but yeah it's 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 almost like their herald
1: yeah what what kind of a what kind of a bell sound do you hear when you when you read about that?
0: Church bell. Just just a single church bell like bong mm-hmm. bong bong, you yeah. know.
1: I uh so when I was a kid, um my dad and I used to watch WWF wrestling sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> Don't judge. Um and uh <laughs> Oh, and, you've been judged. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> and um, I remember when the Undertaker first came out um, as a character. When he walks out, his like the first thing you hear is this long church bell, just a dong, and that's kind of like everybody's like, "Oh crap, the Undertaker's coming!" And mm-hmm. that's what I hear when I when I when I hear that the sonorous bell. It's like, oh, that's like right. the Undertaker's bell.
0: And, and it, it's 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 interesting in this story because. Every time you are, you are in, encountering this sort of hell realm. Mm-hmm. Um, you get this bell, this, this constant ringing bell. It's both sort of a herald to the characters that are listening to it. Mm-hmm. It's also um, just an indicator that you're not fully in the real world anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very interesting um, device in the story, because because it's literally you know. Well, here here are the hell monsters it that that's literally my what it may as well be is is somebody just screaming in the background, well, look the hell monsters are here mm-hmm. um the, there's a sequence towards the end when when Christie's trying to hunt down Frank, where initially she's not convinced it's Frank she thinks it's Rory right, and while she's you know talking to Rory. In 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 air quotes, and Julia. Um, the she can hear the Cenobites and the bell in her head. So there's just this this ringing of this bell that is getting ever louder. That is, you know, starting to cause her like physical distress, mm-hmm. interspersed with, "Well, you're ours now. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to tear you to pieces." And it's it's almost stressful to read, actually.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, um, and the, the Cenobites have no like you know Christie is helping them to recover a, 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 an escape prisoner but they don't care to make it any pleasant like very an, at all pleasant for her like they they let Frank kind of play with her before they come and get him like they let they let Frank go like almost to the brink before they finally intercede yeah. and they think that it's funny that Christie is uh, getting chased and stuff.
0: Yeah, they—they—I they're, mean, they're—they're they're demons. Yeah. <laughs> they are—they are absolutely enjoying um, a murderous chase. Um yes. And they are kind of a, well. Well, let, let, let's get into the Centibytes themselves. They're largely in, uh, uh, inscrutable. Yeah. I, I think you, you don't the, really.
1: In the books, the only one that really like
0: has any memorable traits as the engineer well because he's the only one that has a name right the the rest of them are uh, people in varying states of um mutilation Mm -hmm. and it's actually worth uh, worth um touching on this as well even though in the movies you know it's it's basically pinhead and his collection of cenobites Mm-hmm. They all in have this names, story,
1: but you don't you don't know what they are,
0: right? I, I, in this story, there is one which I think, if I remember correctly, is female mm-hmm. that is identified as having uh, sort of uh, a grid of scars across the head, yeah. with each intersection uh, with an ornate pin in each intersection. Yeah, but they're mm-hmm. not in charge. They're not like a no. spokesperson. They they only really appear with that description once in the entire book, right at the start. Yep. So it's and, it's and, interesting. And the
1: pinhead, the pinhead character, is not even like the the spokesperson. it no, at that point,
0: not not at all. Uh, and it's an interesting divergence, I think, in the in the film. Mm-hmm. But it does it does explain one, one strange anomaly um, in the original Hellraiser film. Um, Doug Bradley, who is um, typically the actor associated with playing Pinhead, isn't credit, credited as Pinhead. He's actually credited as Cenobite Three or something like that, mm. and it, it kind of makes more sense now you, you, when you read the story because they're not they're not individuals pursuing individual goals. Right. They're a group. Yeah, you summon the collective. group of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you are very much dealing with a collective of like-minded individuals. Mm. <laughs> it's, it makes them sound like they're a. a, a electro band
1: yeah they are. <laughs> they're like a they're like a DD group they get <laughs> together once a month unless someone's got something else going on to uh find new ways to flay people
0: yeah you know
1: another another I, I, difference... sorry I,
0: I, sorry all i can i all i can all I can, uh, all I can imagine now is pinhead in a wizard's hat <laughs>
1: yeah roll for initiative
0: you go into the tavern I will show you such delights. <laughs> I, ro- I roll for initiative. You're not <laughs> fighting anybody. <laughs> um. But yeah, so it, it's interesting in in the story, for as much as they detail the c- the Cenobites and, you know, they're they're actually named. You know, the Cenobites of the Order of the Gash, which mm. is never explained. It's just uh, it's it's bits of fragments of knowledge that are known about the these these creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as they, they make them, the, the, so the more they describe them and the more they sort of give them different agencies to some degree, right. they're still a collective. There's no individuality really with any of them. right? You like, especially, uh, towards the end when one of them appears to, Ju- uh, to Christie, it could be any of them. Yeah. It it kind of doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, the one that appears in the hospital it, it's not, there's no like she's not like, oh, you must be you know, open throat
0: lady or whatever. Yeah, it, it's, it's well yeah, I mean they don't show up like, oh, I'm the Herald, you must talk to me or they don't show up like, ah, oh, I am the, the Judicate, it's just like, it's a Cenobite. They have yeah. the same pattern of crazy mutilations and hooks that all the other Cenobites have. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think For me at least, much as I I loved Hellraiser, Hellbound Heart, the Cenobites are much more they're much more of a force. Mm -hmm. They're a thing that is happening as opposed to a monster running around cutting people up. Right. And it it makes them
1: it makes them not not having names makes them like harder to fight, harder to to like you know, if you're You can't fight them. Right. You you you
0: couldn't Possibly hope to fight these
1: creatures. No, you can, but like, you know, like, I guess maybe it's something about human psychology, like being able to say, you know, oh, you know, you're a pinhead and I'm going to kick your ass. You know, that's one thing, but saying like, oh, you are Cenobite number three, you know, like, (laughs) like, in some ways, like giving them names, I'm sure, I'm sure it happened because of the, the movie's popularity and people became... You know, people were big fans of the Cenobites and stuff. Um, uh, I'm,
0: I'm going to say merchandising, but... Oh, yeah. for sure, yeah. But, like,
1: you know, in some ways, giving them all names made them, like, less, less um, ethereal yeah, and absolutely. horrifying. I,
0: I, I kind of wish they really had kept them as um, just a sort of unnamed sort of uh, quintet. Yeah. Um, because it's it's so much more effective in the book. So much more effective.
1: Um, let's talk about the puzzle box.
0: Lemon shards box. I'm, I'm assuming I'm saying that right. I haven't found a pronunciation guide for that. Well, it's funny because that's, I did. That's I did, you... however, <clears throat> I did, however, find a 3D print set to make one of those. Hmm. Does it open? Not the whole thing, but you know that you know, kind of in, in the films, characteristically where it slides and then rotates and then goes back together again. Yeah. It's actually a little storage box that does that that's i think it's called you know unknown storage box but it it's it's clearly lemon shards box yeah don't do it mm-hmm. i i, it's I part it. of me was like you know if if the cenobites had any agency, hmm. this would be an excellent way to bring in just thousands of people but uh no i just i was just amused to find that. So sorry yeah in the, the box movie, itself
1: in the movie i i actually think this is one of the things that i think that they that was an improvement when they did the movie in the movie it's not called lemon shards Le lemar lemar configurations called the lament
0: configuration
1: i think that's better <laughs> yeah for me
0: um no that that is definitely a better naming um do you uh do you think you could solve it are you are you good at puzzles
1: i'm not (laughs) i would i
0: sometimes it depends on the puzzle
1: i would put it on my shelf in a a box or something and and never use it like i would try and then i'd be like this is too hard it's like like it like it'd basically be a rubik's cube like i can't do a rubik's cube (laughs) i'll mess with a rubik's cube for a bit and then put it away
0: i can be pretty good at like spatial puzzles and things Mm -hmm. like that um and like I have a I have a selection of the little wooden puzzles that I enjoy mm-hmm. um, that I like kind of bring out every now and again and, and, and uh, kind of pull apart and put it back together again but um, puzzle boxes like this and I mean this this one is characterized specifically with being um, almost impossibly hard right the, the, there's no instructions there's no obvious latches or anything it's it's a featureless well not featureless but it's a patterned cube. That is impossibly tight with its tolerances. Yeah. Um, which I, I, I sometimes it, it did make me wonder when when Christie gets it in the hospital, it still has blood on it, even though they've they've said they've cleaned it, and it's those that blood in the cracks that allows her to figure out where to put pressure to open the box up. Right. Um, Frank, when he opens this at the start of the story, doesn't have that and there's it's it sort of implied he spent hours, if not days, just sitting in this room trying to crack this puzzle box.
1: Right. And and I think it, it suggests that he had been trying to open it since he got it in Dusseldorf.
0: Yes. <clears throat> Which I, th- I think was a few weeks prior to that. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's an interesting device as well. The, the other thing that's neat about the, the Hellbound Heart, as opposed to the film, is... Uh, Lemon Shard's box is not the only way to summon these things. Right. Um, so there are rumors and discussions. There was uh, supposedly a ritual that the Marquis de Sade knew of. Um, there was supposed to be... Oh, gosh, what was the other one? I don't remember now. There's three or four different ways that they, they describe that you can get access to this. The, the the only thing that's significant about uh box uh is that it happens to be the method that frank happened to find to open this right. and the, each one requires a different um a different sort of uh focus a different ritual mm-hmm. um and, and and the start of the story it, he's performing a ritual he's you know set up this whole room and there's like mm-hmm. there's a plate of and... a plate of doves heads mm-hmm. um the Jar of urine, which took him several days to fill. Which, ooh,
1: <laughs> that that part wasn't actually needed. The Cenobites just have a sense of humor, you know.
0: Um, it, I it, I was because there are lots of little bits in this story where you just sort of like ooh, yeah. Um, definitely the part where they they you know the Cenobites kind of pass through the space uh and one of the things, they sort of take a bunch of the offerings and burn other ones mm-hmm. they take the urine yes and it's not meant as part of an offering it was it was largely there in case he needed to essentially humiliate himself to ingratiate mm-hmm. himself and no they they were totally into that they just that was that was apparently their thing yeah pinhead actually is a, a rather
1: he has a great pickling recipe but it uh it requires some urine so
0: I, I think we understand now why uh, all of his clothes are sort of uh, made of leather and other wipe clean right. materials.
1: It's easy to clean.
0: <laughs> they're not they're not
1: masochistic, they're just utilitarian. Like if you're gonna flay somebody, you need your clothes to be easily cleaned afterwards. Oh god.
0: Like their wardrobe is designed to get fluids off them. That is somehow making this, this horrid story somehow so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there is also, um, uh, sort of another aspect with, with the box is there is a very, um, there is a very real sense of this whole story is just sort of random happenstances. Right. You know, there was no guarantee he was ever going to find the box. He arguably wasn't really looking for the box when he found it. No. Um, I think he, you know, he,
1: the first time he talked to someone about it, it was like in an opium den or something.
0: Yeah, it was it, like... it was it was something other sort of hedonists were looking for mm-hmm. ways to get more uh, sort of stimulation. Yeah. Um, and this was this was the one that he he'd heard the stories about, and he happened to pick up the story again in um, Dusseldorf and managed to find who had started the story. Who I'm presuming. Like, Christie, for some reason, was a guardian of this box for a while.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but it's just random that he found the guy. It's, it's random that he just happened to be in Germany where this guy was. It's random that Rory kind of cut himself and went up to see Julia, who happened to be sitting in that room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know christy opening this box was random There's, there's so many things here that are just not even they don't they don't necessarily feel contrived they just feel like it was just a peculiar alignment of things right there
1: was no there's no like cosmic consequence for any of this this is just like one weird tragic anomaly and right and that you know that that kind of randomness, that meaninglessness of it all is something that you don't see much in, like, American horror before this, I think. You know, everything everything has, like, everything in American horror has, uh, like, there's cause and effect. There's a, there's a story. There's a lesson to be learned. There's... Well, you
0: have to explain everything.
1: Right. And and the Cenobites have no, there's no context. There's no reason. They're, they're just... A part of the universe, and if you accidentally run into them, you're screwed. And and that kind of the the fact that you can't really fight them unless you make a bargain mm-hmm. like Christy did, which, you know, didn't exactly end out end up being a positive thing for her, you know, unless you can do that, you're just out of luck.
0: Well, and that's that's an interesting point to bring up. So let, let let's talk about that. I don't entirely think christy opening the box was an accident you think you think the like maybe the cenobites engineered it so and this this was a point that that frank kind of talks about in one of his like um sort of uh reflections
1: mm-hmm.
0: there's a loophole if you get out of their realm back into the real world they can't follow you because they have to be invited over the threshold back into the real world. Right. But it just seems awfully convenient that Christy happens to find the box in a way, like no other time that's been described in this, in the story or implied ever. She happens to find this box in a way that is easy to um, open. Open, yeah. It, it basically the 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 mystery of the box has been removed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it just seems awfully convenient that you know. Normally, when you you open this thing, it takes days of effort. You know, Frank spent days doing this thing. He had this whole ritual thing laid out. Christie is sitting in a hospital bed, kind of doped on medicine, mm-hmm. and casually opens this thing, and a lone sonobite shows up and is like, "Oh,
1: you clearly just did this by accident."
0: Well, you did this by accident, but uh, and it it feels awkward. Mm. Which is which is a nice touch. It doesn't feel like they're they're like Oh, well you have found the den of pleasure. Ah. No the there's literally a send about like uh, Well you you did this by accident. You weren't supposed to be here. It doesn't uh, matter, but you shouldn't be here. Yeah. And she makes a deal with him like look, do you know a guy called Frank? Why, well, yes we do. I tell you what, if you can find him, we won't rip your soul to pieces. That sounds lovely. Mm. It just feels to me like I may, maybe it is intended to be just just a happy accident a just happy another accident. That's another a, random that's a thing. bad turn of phrase because there's nothing happy about that sequence mm-hmm. um maybe it is just intended to be a random event that happens that they capitalize on but I, I I wondered if there was or if you felt if there was some sort of agency to her sort of accidentally opening this box
1: It's a good question I didn't I didn't perceive that when I was reading it um. But it is awfully convenient, and I think normally in cases like this, I usually say that it. if I'm watching a movie and something like that happens and someone that I'm watching it with is like, well, what, why did that happen? And I'm like, well, you know, the plot. It is powered by the plot. <laughs> um, but, you know, barring that kind of like hand-wavy, I'm like, oh, it's just, you know, the plot needed something, it could be i mean i don't i don't know a lot about the hellraiser universe but you know maybe there was a different well i
0: know i know we've compared the two a lot but i think i think it's important to to separate this from the films because by about film four that goes so hard into crazy town it's not
1: uh, <laughs> it's probably not worth talking about which is but, saying um, a lot because Hell, hellraiser is is a lot of crazy town from the beginning
0: well let's be honest that first film which again is is with a few notable changes um basically a blow by blow uh, remake of this book mm-hmm. or sort of implementation of this this book in a, a sort of film format right Um. It it is it is unpleasant
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean it, 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 unapologetically so right it was it was shocking I mean the movie right.
1: came out let me see 87
0: I, ha- 80, I have it here
1: 1987 that movie came out like
0: I was six years old.
1: I was uh, three.
0: Oh boy! <laughs> My mother wouldn't let me watch it. I was very upset. <laughs>
1: uh, I, I I can't imagine. Roger Ebert called it a bankruptcy of imagination.
0: I I cannot imagine for a second that that's true.
1: No, I think it's wildly imaginative.
0: Um, it it, it is. I will say though, it is, it is unapologetically awful. Mm-mm. Um, when bad things happen to people, they, they bad happen. things happen to people yeah. and and yeah the, the cenobites the the 're sort of the, the promised of their you know wonderful kind of paradise world the the way they actually go about what their definition of pleasure is it 's a trap for fools yeah it's absolutely a trap for fools and it 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 's not apologetic about it if you can 't have sympathy for frank you can't really have sympathy for julia they they're awful horrible people who've put themselves in an awful horrible place um this is this is again kind of why i wonder if if christy finding these guys was entirely intentional it just it just feels to me like it was kind of like okay well poke the girl and we'll see if she can find frank mm-hmm. um what else to touch on in with this well julia let's let's talk about julia just to kind of wrap this up julia is f- well i mean for most of the story she's she's kind of the main character yeah but she's also kind
1: of a kind of a blank slate she doesn't have a lot of um and, until she discovers like that that frank is is kind of accessible in the house she's kind of just floating through her life you know
0: yeah, and she's um, and this has that same sort of quality that the Cenobites have. It, it you know, very very much detailed, but sort of at the same time, just glaringly blank in in mm-hmm. huge parts of her life. It's implied she doesn't really do anything. She's a housewife, mm-hmm. um, kind of. You know, she's she's t- talked about to be very manipulative, very intelligent, um, very almost controlling but you don't necessarily really see that because a lot of her agency comes from uh trying to do things for other people mm-hmm. oh yeah she's she's going to restore frank it, it's going to be great and they're going to run off and they're going to dance and it's going to be great and mm-hmm. it it's just for someone who's described the way that she is it just seems oddly blinkered to some degree
1: yeah and Um, and as as she moves through her plan to get frank back she she goes from being like kind of a blank slate to being um very decidedly malevolent
0: and um just so for for want of a better description the character becomes heavy yeah Uh, as you go through she she goes from being very kind of well, you know, it's just such a stress to, to repack a house, to, yeah, I've, I've killed four people, but there's no consequences because nothing in this world means anything to me anymore. Right. And you you sort of feel the whole world falling in on her. Is there?
1: Um, is I forget, is there a moment when she realizes that Frank is more interested in Christy than he is in her?
0: I don't think so. I, I mean, maybe towards be... the end, the the final encounter, which was kind of interesting towards the, the final encounter when he's still sort of he's going after Christie. I don't really remember Julia kind of standing up and being like no, that's not cool. Because mm-hmm. again, for Frank he doesn't really he's not really interested in, in Julia. She's no. just sort of useful to him. Right.
1: Which is, is a the the contrast between when you get into frank's head the contrast between how he sees the situation in the relationship versus how julia sees it is kind of um sad you know yeah like, like you but, said, because julia, for her it, it's julia's having all these like fairy tale dreams of running off and having you know wicked forbidden sex and with with frank and and frank is just kind of like well i'll use her and then i'll kick her to the curb like everybody else Mm -hmm. very much so um and and christy christy kind of have has an opposite well like a a parallel but opposite movement in her story progression like she starts out as being kind of floating through her life because the man that she loves is married to another woman who Mm -hmm. doesn't like her and um, and then she goes from that to being like an active force of, you know, foiling Frank and, and Julie's plan of, you know, whatever they're going to do. Like,
0: push should touch on this sooner. But what, one of the major themes of, the, of this story is, you know, people kind of longing for these kind of unrequited, um, not not unrequited loves necessarily, but unrequited lusts or experiences mm-hmm. or desires um, you know, Christy wants Rory, which is probably the most normal relationship in this story. Right. Uh, Julia is craving something much darker from um, his brother and, and actually weirdly isn't phased at any point by the fact that he's just a, a barely together corpse when she finds him.
1: No, he. she she kisses him or something before he's fully put together mm-hmm. and has like this gooey gunk on yeah. her cheek and
0: stuff. Yeah. And, like, Frank is just craving something that we can never quite figure out what it is he's craving. Mm-hmm. Rory just wants a normal life. He yeah. he just wants to, you know, have sex with his wife, live in his nice house, and that's the end of that.
1: Watch the football game, yeah. He's um, yeah. he's uh, um, shockingly oblivious of everything that's going on around him. Like, he has friends Well, it's to him, a point. And he's, you know, he's he's being charming with his friends and hmm. is not really at first is not really bothered that Julia seems unhappy with their friends being over. And then once he does start to get worried, like it still seems like, I don't know. He, he's, he's very surprised when he finds Frank up in the, in the top room. I, I didn't, I
0: didn't find that terribly surprising, but you, you know, in, in, um, you know, sort of back home in England, it, it's way more common for people to, not discuss things like that. Mm. Um, You know, if if you're having marital problems, there are people who will seem fine for years and then just suddenly divorce Mm -hmm. out of nowhere. And it's not out of nowhere, it's because there may be one or two very close friends who have ever known there was an issue. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the time, it's just been the two people in the relationship arguing, you know, going insane, cursing, you know, being at the point of depression, but never actually um, discussing this or showing this publicly.
1: Right. Well, in companies, though, you have to be, you know.
0: Right. So, you know, if, if you're saying that this is intended to be set in in England somewhere, then this makes complete sense to me. This is this is kind of how I would expect a dysfunctional marriage to go for a lot of people. Hmm. Um. But yeah. So.
1: So. Did you, did you, did you enjoy the story?
0: You, you know, as much as there are a couple of bits in the story that are just genuinely like, ew, um I, I, I couldn't say there was, there was stuff in here that was, um, it was never graphic to the point of being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It, it was graphic to the point of just being unpleasant. Right. Um, yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed this. It's, it's a really well-written story. It's... Um, There's no sort of extra material here. Everything that needs to be said is said. Everything that needs to happen happens. Mm -hmm. And it does so in a way that is tight and cleverly constructed. And the sequences where all hell is breaking loose, all hell is breaking loose. You feel like, you know, the world is literally coming to an end. Mm -hmm. Um, The bits where it's supposed to be just trying to force their way through normal, boring day-to-day life, you feel like it's boring day-to-day life. You know, Julia going to a bar, um, trying to pick up guys to drag back to murder. Um, It it feels authentic. You know, you know the kind of people she's talking about. You know the kind of people she's looking for. Mm -hmm. The bored car, you know, balding car salesman who's showing them pictures of their wife and kids. It's, um, you know, uh, the guy from out of town who's just looking for a little action before he heads back home. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's very very believable um, world that he's set this in um yeah no i love this um i think i actually gave this like five stars on goodreads mm. It actually makes me want to I, I haven't read a lot of clive barker it makes me want to go and read a lot more clive barker
1: yeah well this is the first book in a trilogy i think is it really i think so it's followed by a book called the scarlet gospels
0: Hmm. interesting mm. um, well, maybe we'll have to cover that one <clears throat> totally <laughs> i i really oh there we go it. sorry the novella received two sequels the scarlet gospels written by clive barker published in 2015 and hellraiser the toll published in 2018 hmm. um that was written by someone else but it was drafted out by clive barker interesting
1: i think they're also um, referenced
0: in another one of his works but anyway
1: i think um i think this book deserves the kind of status that it has as kind of being a a great work of horror fiction i think it was oppressive and and horrible and and like Uh,
0: uh, yeah i mean you you have interdimensional kind of undefeatable forces pushing their full fury onto maybe three people Mm
1: -hmm. three three relatively normal insignificant like people it's not like it's not like they're going to you know show boris johnson the great pleasures of their realms i would be
0: quite happy to be perfectly honest if if he a bunch of cenobites xenob- showed up and decided to show him such delights
1: right and, and um, as they as they dragged him behind the walls of downing downing street they'd say oh and join the eu <laughs> <laughs>
0: um no i one one thing that really really gets me with this story is um you know i i've read stories where literal millions of people die mm-hmm. planets get blown up whatever and it didn't mm. feel like it had a half the impact as the crap that happened to these three or four people
1: yeah i mean the you know the the way that it's written even when frank who you kind of hate for you know you're supposed to hate oh we hate frank it's okay when right <clears throat> when when he is getting hooks driven through his body and is getting torn to bits, like that's it's, you're not, you're not really cheering. It's kind of hard to read like
0: not only because very, of what's going um, on
1: but he's like, he's like rebelling against it and like saying all kinds of vile things while that's happening. But, but like it's not something where you're like, you know, yes finally the bastard's getting what he deserves. It's,
0: it's, uh, it's not fun. <laughs> Right. And, yeah, there's no kind of, like, elation that, you know, this monster Frank has been torn to pieces. There's no kind of, like, sadness that this monster Frank has been torn to pieces. It's a thing that happened that you were utterly powerless to affect.
1: You just Um, have to clean up the bits that fell on you. you...
0: If they were smart, they'd just burn that entire house to the ground. Right. (laughs) All right. So... On that note, what is our next book? Our next book is
1: Perfume by Patrick Susskind.
0: Now, I'm not going to lie. This might be a little bit of an odd choice, but um, I really like this book. This is one of my favorite books. I, I never heard
1: of it before we talked about doing it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But, um it's uh another kind of literary fiction kind of like geek love how it it kind of spans multiple genres and is more than just a horror novel
0: it's it's not really a horror novel it's not really weird it's not really a fantasy it's not really a historical fantasy it is a strange blend of things hmm. um as you know uh a little perfumer leaves a trail of havoc through his entire uh journey through what 18th century france yes 1700s yes. perfume the story where nothing good happens to anybody at any point whether they deserve it or not i will see you next time mm. <laughs> uh hey you know what i realized mm. we got through that entire description of um Hellbound Heart without once mentioning the word sadomasochism. If you enjoyed our show, please consider liking and subscribing, and maybe even recommending us to a friend. You can now follow us on Twitter via @weirdsequence.